Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe with Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. Sam, that's hi. me. Hello, yeah. how are you guys? Oh, oh, we just had a feminine laugh, and so we have to <laughs> immediately because people think our other co-host is Tom Dorian. That does and not sound like Tom. No, that is not. He's much deeper voiced. We have Sister Bethany Madonna. She's here with us. Hello, Sister. Thank you, Deacon. Happy to be here with you. I'm so Sam glad you've 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 joined us here in the luxurious. Now this is luxurious, right? Oh my! Yeah, it's Nagahide. So it doesn't get much more luxurious <laughs> than that. So we're excited to have you here. Of course, Sister Bethany Madonna is a sister of life mm-hmm. and uh also I, I think you're the director of vocations for i am that's a kind of a big job it's a joy i like to remind the sisters it's a corporate apostolate we all have to be the ones that to sounds be a like witness. somebody who's who's lazy who doesn't want to work a lot who wants to have lots of help uh, it's a joy to walk with women um to ask these questions of the heart just how am i made to love and what is jesus desire for me so i do it's a privilege oh, wow you already make me want to join but i don't think that there's uh i don't, I don't think, think there's you a passed the physical <laughs> no i think there would be some problems there um certainly uh sister you know what i i think that as the director of vocations you might mm. be able to tell us a little bit about why why are you a sister yeah. why are you a sister of life both great questions you know when i was uh growing up i i always thought i would be married to someone wonderful who was madly in love with me and no one wants to marry have... <laughs> someone horrible though do they so that's good that was critical uh and we'd have i don't know 10 kids name them after saints oh. you know peter oh. james john paul thomas i love i love thinking no about ziggies it. Sorry. My, own, <laughs> my own litany so um yeah it wasn't until i was in high school that i had kind of a profound experience of just you know a crossroads with my friends and uh well, I had, were, were you like were you catholic i grew up catholic and our family you know prayed prayers together before meals mm-hmm. and we went to mass and we did stations during lent so it was definitely you did the stuff yeah we did we did the catholic thing i had never uh, growing up heard um that religious life would be an option for me or something right. to be thinking about or open to so that that was not on my mind so I had this experience in high school of, um, yeah, starting out by wanting to go to the party scene and see what it was like and what what it, what I could get involved in You're and how the only friends teenager, I could make. <laughs> only teenagers ever experienced that kind of desire to yeah. see what that's like. Well, you you know how attractive it can be externally. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, but um, upon going, it just was very evident how empty and sad and mm. painful and hurtful it would be. So decided not to continue on that path, but um, later. Well, where were your friends in that? I mean, did you? Were there's a little breaking you, up there going on? There was my junior year. Yeah, that that when people had cars and could make choices of where they were going, there was a real split um, of of desires. And I, yeah, I lost all my friends my wow. junior year. And uh, God was very good to me because uh, after a very lonely time of confusion and or chaos and thinking my life was over, which. <laughs> Wow. Well, uh, it's not to be extreme, you know, or dramatic, <laughs> but it felt like that. Um, a beautiful girl in one of my classes invited me to her youth group, and um, a whole world opened up to me of girls who like to go to the mall and the beach and the movies, like me, and guys who were good and funny and clean cut. And 
This group was different, though, because they did Bible study and retreats, and that was not my norm. Right. So I, I, uh, I wasn't. I was willing to try. You know, I wanted. I wanted to know the Lord, and the way that they knew Him was so attractive. Yeah, tell me about that. So yeah. something though you say was so attractive. Mm-hmm. What was it? I mean, you, you obviously noticed something different about mm-hmm. those people, particularly, and how they experienced life and what they looked like or acted like. They knew Jesus, and they talked to Him, and He talked back to them. And mm. I remember uh, being on a retreat in Eucharistic Adoration. I had. I wasn't totally familiar with what adoration was. I didn't do it regularly, but we were there in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and Jesus was exposed. And I remember just praying a very sincere prayer of, I want to know you, Lord, and I want to know that you know me, and I want to know how you made me to love. Um, our, wow. youth, our youth minister had said, you know, ask the Lord how he made you to love. And I had never even thought to ask him because I knew I was getting married and having all these kids. Right. <laughs> but uh, I did, and I felt this kind of, kind of like how a, cr- a thought crosses your mind. It was like the thought crossed my heart, and it was like, consider being mine. And I, I didn't know what that meant. I thought about the sound of music, and I thought about it, you know, right. a sister act. I was like, what? <laughs> Were so you a big I, singer at the time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I knew that couldn't be a religious life. And Sound of Music's very confusing because she gets married and has all these kids at the end, and that's really, that was the dream. So, um, yeah. But I've, you weren't called to be a lounge singer either. No, and or running away from the, the crime and yeah. police and everything like that. So I tucked it in the back. I knew that the Lord wanted a new relationship with me, and I would wanted that too, but the, that idea I tucked back. So into college, you know, I had dated. Um, I was very open to marriage. I thought it was such a beautiful vocation. But um, my freshman year of college, I like lost all my peace and uh, knew that the Lord was asking me to to be single for a time and to really listen. And so I decided if I had to be single, I'm going to study abroad in Italy. So if I can't have romance in my life, I'm going somewhere romantic. Oh, We're gonna okay, have, yeah. good idea. Oh, I was like the the saints and the scenery and the gelato and the cafes, and I'm going. I'm going. Um, so when I got there, this is kind of like the turning point. Um, I went with my secular liberal university, the University of Central Florida. Okay. And we got there, and they, they pulled all the girls aside and apologized and said, we ran out of dorms, room for you. So you'll be staying in a convent with religious <laughs> sisters. So everybody burst into tears and they were furious. And I just thought Jesus was so playful because he was trying to cast out all my fears and tell me like, I love you. I'm always going to love you. I'm going to love you better than anybody now, else. Did you, did you think that then, or did you have a little time to ponder on that? I definitely pondered on that the whole summer. Um, I could tell the Lord was being playful. It was almost like, I know you, and I know what you're scared of, and I know what you're wow. thinking. Yeah, and I'm going to meet you in it, actually. I'm here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you in a way that you can understand. Now, what kind of um, openness mm. and vulnerability did you have to kind of carry with you in all mm-hmm. of these things, as these things were happening to you? Because mm-hmm. I think that sometimes people, the Lord speaks to us a lot, yeah. but I don't think we always hear. It's amazing what happens when you start creating silence in your life even if it starts with five minutes because Mm. you start to get accustomed to the lord's voice especially if you if you begin reading the scriptures like how he speaks to people how he moves uh the ways that he heals Mm. how how gentle it can be or or overt you know the ways that he can intervene in a life you know so I had a lot of silence that summer, mostly because I wasn't learning Italian very well. So <laughs> I, I um, would would spend a lot of time in quiet and in churches, and I felt the Lord's peaceful presence. The Lord's 
the Lord is silent, and His silence is love, and it's in His silence that He speaks and heals and strengthens and directs. And so, yeah, I felt His love casting out the fear that I wouldn't be loved or that I, I wouldn't be fulfilled or that I wouldn't be a mother somehow, that I would lose everything in following Him. And in a certain sense, you do. You, you know, those who lose their life find it. But I found so much more than I ever could have <laughs> so you, you you essentially had to to let go mm. of a lot of preconceived and I mean just all mm-hmm. these notions. And he helped me. He helped me face them. So yeah. it it seems to me that there's a link between the the journey into a vocation mm-hmm. and the process of letting God love you yes. and letting yourself love Him back. Yes. That's beautiful, Sam, and I think that's one thing that we can resist because we go into prayer and we've got our to-do list, and we're gonna, we are going to pray and we are going to show God like that we are holy and that we we're coming at Him, you know, and we want to be with Him and we want answers too. And I think part of maturation and part of growth and part of part of coming to know Him is letting Him love me, which requires like this open, um, receptive quality that can be vulnerable because maybe I'm. Maybe I don't know what he's going to say, or maybe I don't know what it feels like to be loved so completely and wholly, or maybe I've had a notion that God is harsh and critical and judgmental of me, and so I don't want to hear what he has to say, because it just will make me feel worse about myself than I already do. But when I realize how deeply loved I am, to have even been like breathed into existence and called forth, and then the Lord to have come down to us, become one of us, to like tell us that the Father loves us, and Mm. give himself to us in the Eucharist, like he holds nothing back. You know, he lets himself be exposed before us. He wants to receive us in our wounds and our sadness and our confusion and, and our desires and our hopes and our dreams and be with us in it and draw us more deeply into him. You know, you know so. it's amazing what you discover or have discovered mm. in, in your own life, your own vocation story. Certainly, um, you talked about silence and how mm. silence allows us to hear. And I just think of the times I've struggled, you know, especially in adoration, where you've got this laundry list of things that you, you fill all the space and all the time. And we're so used to that with, with television and with radio. There's, you know, engineers, if I just stop talking now, there's like 10 engineers at EWTN, the relevant radio, right? and they just scrambled to find out, why is there silence? It's, it's, it's bad. We you can't know? have moments of silence no. on evangelical radio. <laughs> so I would imagine that, that allowing mm. yourself to listen, because you know, usually when there is silence, we're scared. Think about the times we've been in, our, in, our, in, a, in a house at night when it's silent and you hear the creaking and stuff, and you think all these horrible thoughts. Who's breaking in? What what ghost is haunting this house or whatever? Yeah. And we think all those negative things, but really if, we're, if, we, if we train ourselves with more silence, we become more receptive, more perceptive, and I think that that's an antenna that goes up, and I think that God welcomes that, and, and He uses as an opportunity. It seems like for you it's been that way. Silence is incredibly precious to me. Yeah, it's that time of real deep intimacy and communion and union and after communion like that time of silence uh, just with the lord alone or before before going to bed or just in the middle of the day taking time to reflect on the gifts i've received today or the areas that um i feel i need more grace or more help or you know a place that i need light shed on because i don't know what to do i really don't know what's best right in this situation or this relationship so knowing that the lord wants to speak peace or relieve me of frustration or um, give me, yeah, give me a word of you need to say something, and it needs to be clear. <laughs> you right, know, well, I'm, I'm going to say something. We're going to okay. take a break. <laughs> uh, that's what we're going to do, and maybe we'll have a little silence during that break. 
Uh, but before we take a break, I do want to uh, remind folks we're talking to Sister Bethany Madonna, uh, the Sisters of Life. And uh, Sam, what are you going to tell them about uh, all those social media things? Yeah, like us on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter. Like and share our posts and comment on them. It makes a difference. And visit us on our website, <laughs> thecatholiccafe.com. And I would love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. The relationship between monastery brew houses and the act of Christian hospitality has nestled a special place in Catholic culture for centuries. As monastic life began to take shape across Europe, the art of hospitality and its connection to monastery living took deep root. Before the modern era of roadside inns, travelers used the network of monasteries as way stations between their destinations. Monastic hospitality directed the monks to care for these travelers. The monastic rule of St. Benedict says, Let everyone that comes be received as Christ. The monks abided by this teaching, and each monastery became known for its hospitality and its own unique brand of ale or beer which was served to thirsty visitors. The work of the monastery was integral to the spiritual life of the monks. Many monasteries were self-sustaining operations with vast tracts of land. The monastic communities relied on the land to provide sustenance for their community. Operating the monastery took hard work and required daily labor from the monks. To sustain themselves, especially during periods of fast, the monks would brew heavy beers and ales. By drinking these fermented concoctions, they were able to stay faithful to their fast, but also able to sustain the energy levels needed for the hard work. Beer was considered liquid bread at the time and enjoyed for its many nutritional properties. As time went on and monasteries became centers of learning and laboratories for science, the monks used their education to perfect the brewing art. They were able to improve production practices and provide this special drink, not only for their own communities, but the villages around them. One particular order of monks, called the Trappist, had become famous all over the world for their beers and ales. The Trappist order was founded in the Cistercian Monastery of La Trappe, France. The founder of the order felt that the Cistercian order as a whole was becoming too lax. He instituted strict new rules, and one of the core tenets of the order was that each monastery was to be self-sustaining. The Trappist monks looked to the brew houses that already existed within their walls and began brewing beers and ales for sale to the public. Some of these Trappist monasteries are still brewing beers and ales that can be found at your local grocery store. They are considered to be some of the highest quality and most robust and flavorful ales and beers in production today. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. I am Deacon Jeff. I haven't changed my name since the break, and certainly 
Ziggy Rodriguez is sitting here, and yeah. we are still here with Sister Bethany Madonna. She didn't leave. That's a that's always a victory for us when our guest does not decide to leave during the break. You know, slam something down, slam a rosary on the oh, on the counter, and say, "No way!" Not on Divine Mercy Sunday. <laughs> yes, amen. We should say, uh, you know, Alleluia, Alleluia. You know, the yes. double Alleluia is still is get while well, well, getting's good, right? That's exactly right. So, yeah, it was a great Lent, and and certainly Easter is beautiful. And so, in this sort of, sort of Easter spirit, we're talking about the Spirit working here with you, Sister Bethany Madonna, and your mm. vocation story. Um, I think when we last left this story, you had just had kind of, you know, you, you started praying more and you were mm-hmm. sort of re- receiving a message that maybe something like religious life might be for you. Yeah. Where were you? Were you still in college at the time? I was in college in Orlando and simultaneously I had had a friend who was living her her Catholic faith really radically and she invited me to pray outside of an abortion clinic. Wow. Okay. As something I did not, was not attracted to, did not know if I wanted to be part of and... She was like, it's the rosary. <laughs> so I, I'll never forget that Saturday morning as long as I live and seeing um, as the sun kind of rose over the dilapidated building, I just saw a whole line of girls. Um, I saw their sadness. I saw that they were alone. I saw the pain of that day, and I just cried and cried, and I knew my, my I kind of traced my life back to that day in a, a lot of ways. My, the trajectory of my life just shifted, and wow. I knew I'd live and die for them, and I didn't know how, but... I, yeah, those those women and their unborn children, just knowing they wouldn't see the light of that day, and um, mm. yeah, it was very that's very powerful. Moving. Yeah, you know, I, I, another thing that strikes me about your particular vocation stories, you had a lot of amazing friends. I did that kind of like that God would put in your path. Yes, uh, and and you, and it just like they would they would show you things. Yes, it, um, and it so really matters. Would, to, we've got those friends. Yeah. And we want to be those friends so that, that also reach out with an invitation yeah. or say, hey, come on this retreat or, hey, there's this women's group, you know, or, hey, like for us as Sisters of Life, our post-abortion healing mission, uh, f- many women find out about it from someone who'd already experienced being being touched and healed right. in mercy. And they're like, hey, listen, you need to you need to let the Lord into this place, you know, and let him free you from that shame and. You just find new life. So, so praying that rosary that Saturday morning, um, yeah. th- th- you call this a turning point, really, yeah. that experience. And is that what sort of maybe th- th- made you think, you know, I think I have, I think I have a charism now. I think I have some kind of draw. Yeah, it's to, funny. To I was thinking issue. maybe I need to be a Supreme Court justice oh, okay. and like take hey. out <laughs> take out <laughs> Roe v. Wade. And it was Sam the, was going to play in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the plan. No, but the Lord is just showing, like uh, you know. This this is so much a part of our community as Sisters of Life because we're contemplative active, but just that this irreverence for life is a demon that can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. So we're not dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with principalities. And so this, um, this experience of um, degrading life and forgetting its sacredness and beauty that every person is unique and unrepeatable and irreplaceable and has this untouchable relationship with the creator you know that they're destined for for life with him that every soul is immortal like this isn't all we have all of that coming together it was like this is so far beyond you know for me at least fighting this you know in in the courts i knew that i needed to be an advocate in another way uh, an advocate for these women to to love them and let them know see i think also you recognize at least i recognize in what you're saying and how you describe that time um, you start to realize that that life and love. I mean, it's supernatural. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we experience everything in nature, right, and everything that's natural. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a supernatural connection. Yes, that you can you can see. Uh, it's almost like you know s- seeing God in somebody. Yeah, uh, in that experience. Well, I love it. Every anyone who spends time with me knows how much I love fingerprints. But just that every person who has ever existed, ever in the since since the millions and billions of people have ever existed, every finger, fingerprint is unique. And I just thought. If God is going to spend so much time to arrange and design the right. invisible circle pattern on the end of my finger to be mine, you know, totally unique to me, like, what about my heart? What about mm. the love in it? Like, every person's love is totally unique. No one can replace you or no one can be your substitute. Like, your love is yours. And that's why it's so sacred and precious and worth fighting for, you know? That's why chastity is such a, a beautiful gift and virtue to be able to receive, like, purity of heart. Blessed are the pure of heart. They see God. They see God mm. in themselves. They see that He has created them and in His image and likeness, and that they're able to communicate something unique about Him. But they see it in every other person how sacred they are and be- beautiful, really loved by God. So somehow in all this, mm. you found your way to the Sisters of Life. Yes. How did that? How did that work out? I was actually vi- visiting another religious community, and they dropped me off. Dropped you at the Sisters of Life. <laughs> so. <laughs> It was planned. Wait, wait, so that's, no, no. <laughs> it was a matter of projection. No, just kidding. I, they I, kicked me out. Yeah, I did like a, they call it a nun run where I visited several religious communities. A nun run. See, I've never experienced a nun run. Didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> it, it doesn't include actual running, but anyway. Okay. <laughs> so uh, they were like, we're going to take you to see the Sisters of Life because they had known that I'd experienced this grace outside of oh, an abortion clinic. okay. So again, friends that recognize. Yeah, other religious sisters actually. Yeah, that's beautiful. Saw the charisma of life in me. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to the sisters and they shared about their mission Uh, first of all their fourth vow to protect and enhance the sacredness of human life secondly that they spend half of the day in silence and prayer and that everything they do flows from that union and intimacy with jesus so we lay our lives down united to life himself you know so that others can know the sacredness of their life but just we serve women who are pregnant and vulnerable to abortion we serve women who are who come and live in the convent with us through their pregnancy and then for a time after we host weekend retreats every weekend at our retreat center where is that in stanford connecticut okay yeah and we do so in in toronto and in denver as well host retreats for women just to be restored we host all kinds of retreats we have a working men's retreat that draws men at healing retreats um for those suffering after abortion our post-abortion healing mission is like watching the resurrection like just watching Amen. those who have really well, this is divine mercy sunday yeah it's gorgeous and i love it because so often just abortion it really strikes at the heart of women and and men this the desire to nurture life and the desire to be a provider so the shame can be um overwhelming so we have women reach out to us two weeks after their abortion we have women mm. reach out to us 60 years after their abortion wow. and it's I love it because it's like the divine mercy of Jesus. It's, he said it's like an ocean within his heart mm. that he wants to just release, you know, and, and cover us and heal us. So that that in, that infinity, that eternity, mm. you know, that's inside the one-inch square of a thumb yeah. is also in the expanse of the cosmos and, and all that is beyond it and in, in supernatural realms as well. How, yes. how big that is. Yes. Let me ask you this, sister, On where it's Divine Mercy Sunday. One of the things I associate with, with Divine Mercy Sunday is like little acts of mercy that we yes. can concretely do in our everyday life. <clears throat> so I ask you, is you have a charism to help bring in a culture of life. 
people in, in radio land, what are practical, concrete things that they can do, especially stuff that they might not have th- thought of, things that mm-hmm. might, they might be surprised to hear? If you do this every day, you're helping to promote a culture for life. What yes. are some of those things that they could do? I really would start with um, the life of prayer. I mean, if mm. you're just daily prayer, even if it starts as five minutes, because if I receive the gift of my own life and I received God's love and if I receive his mercy myself that's going to radiate out mm. um, and that's going to be a source of healing for me and then I will be able to be you know a wounded healer for we, others we love because he loved us first yes but I want to receive that and then mm. secondly I would say too part of living in a culture of life is also forgiveness and so on this Divine Mercy Sunday um, recognizing that unforgiveness is like like drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies. So like, but it's killing me, you know? So just asking for the grace of forgiveness and saying, one of my sisters taught this prayer uh, to me, she had read it, but saying, you know, Jesus, uh, this person cannot pay this debt that they owe me, but I ask that you pay it and bless them instead. Ooh. And so giving them a blessing instead of holding Sister, them. So I got to admit that's hard though. It's, it's very really hard. hard for us. We have to, it's in our will first. So even the catechism says, I can't just stop feeling the injustice. I can't just stop feeling the hurt or the pain. And this doesn't mean entering back into relationships that are abusive or painful. Um, But but it does mean the hatred and the bitterness and the, um, yeah, that kind of festering hurt that can can radiate. It can actually block me from receiving love and loving others well. So... It's wow. letting the Lord heal me there, and it, see, it that's, means, the, that's the slavery that that Jesus ransomed them, yes. ransomed us from. Yes, and He, in His divine mercy, just trusting in His mercy, thinking about Him on the cross, uh, the three o'clock hour, the divine mercy chaplet. Like mm. He has given us so much to receive the graces that we need to live in the freedom of the children of God, which is mercy. Yeah. One thing that also comes to mind as you're as you're describing this, the language in the Sermon on the Mount about not objectifying, you know, people through lust, it's the same language yeah. that he uses when not object of objectification when he's talking about anger. Yes. And and so it seems it, what you're saying resounds completely that any form of objectification is against personhood. Yes. So Sister, you've given us so much to think about. You're such a you're you're such a joy to have Thank around, you, and 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 uh, I would one day love to be one of those friends that steers you in the right direction. Yeah. But it seems like you're already going <laughs> in the right direction. So we always need help on the way. <laughs> they directed you here. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> one step back, right? You no. know, it'll it'll be okay. So, Sister Bethany Madonna, Sisters of Life, um, I, I, I'm so thankful that you dropped in. And you know what? We would be remiss if we didn't. Ask Our Lady, the Mother of Life, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The Mother of Jesus, to be with us. Mm -hmm. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners, sinners, now and in the hour hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.